Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. Reading Aldrin's work, looking at their prints, I was reminded of Dina Lawson's installation assemblage, consisting of hundreds of four-by-six-inch glossy photographs T-pinned to the wall. It was in 2010 at PS1. It looked like a pixelated cloud cluster on two walls that join. Lawson sourced the images from the New York Public Library picture collections. The The ones hung near each other in the cluster would riff on themes like gold or intimacy between the subjects. Even though most of the photos came from a library catalog, they were all printed at Walgreens, full bleed on glossy paper. The piece is about how much history is subjective and erased and also visualized on an individual basis. Aldrin is hypersensitive to this dynamic of histories, of images, of how to repurpose them, including the fiber, excuse me, the fixer splotches, including the handwritten place and time. The fertility of a family photograph is a starting point. Why is it called that family photograph? How do the rituals, first days, birthdays, trips, visits get reperformed in the viewer's eyes? How does a photo become three-dimensional and stretch into the present mythic shapes of realities? Aldrin Valdez's work feels like a playful puzzle of one thing for another. An object becomes human, part of replacement is maybe the fantasy to feel less pain and loss, to borrow the function of the telephone and stretch it out so that people travel closer, keep us company. Aldrin writes, she's a curtain in my eyelids. The longing tends always to be blunt, even when hidden, listening to a wound like it could be a shell, missing from an ocean that interrupts countries and long ago attempts to colonize and not be colonized. The telephone was not yet electronic, it was something else. How does a mall get named anyway? How are choices about which fast food chain to eat at somehow meaningful? How are white boys who surf this emblem of fashion, a mood of repression, the furniture when pulled away from one spot makes a loud scraping sound. When you lift it up, can I borrow this chair? Is anyone sitting here? How does underwear fit? How does a collar pop? Please help me in welcoming Aldrin Valdez. That was a wonderful introduction. Thank you so much, and thank you, Poetry Project. Um, I feel like really loved. I'm like seeing all these faces um, whose work and friendships like really contributed to this writing. Like I feel like I wouldn't be the person I am if weren't for you. <laughs> um, I'm gonna start with everything, but not quite. Buses and allocution. Out here in Nassau County, Long Island, most of the people who take public transportation are people of color, workers earning low wages, and immigrants on their way back, on their way to work or to school. When he was a teenager, boy boy aspired to be white. But if you had asked him then, he'd have had no idea what you were talking about. Instead, say Hollister and say blonde. Say not wanting to smell like the fish his sister just cooked before he went to school. Stress the soft TH sounds instead of the hard T. F, not P. V, not B. Verify, first, mythology, three, phoenix, four, full, faggot, love, 
teeth, voice, five, thanks, Father. Even Filipino, which he is, confused too. He hated taking the bus. Roosevelt Field, takeoffs, aspirations, and clearance sales. The ride to Roosevelt Field Mall from Long Beach is over an hour long with a stop at the Hempstead Transit Center. The mall is built on a former airfield named after Quentin Roosevelt, the pilot son of President Theodore Roosevelt, who trained there before heading off to Europe. Quentin died in France in 1918 after being shot down in combat during what would later be billed as the First World War. Nearly a decade later, another pilot, the aviator Charles Lindbergh, the sky-eyed son of an immigrant, took off from Roosevelt Field for a nonstop flight across the Atlantic to Paris. The hero's glory he garnered for that marvel of aviation would be marred a few years later by the ransom kidnapping of his toddler son that ended with a child's death. In the 1950s, Roosevelt Field became a shopping center following a speedy construction of the first Levittown, just a few minutes' drive from the mall. A same and sane, future-perfect village of mass-produced homes, the model suburbia. It was the capitalist dream come true of Levitt and Sons, a real estate firm and family that thrived during the Great Depression and in times of pestilence and war. There was a dearth of housing for America's return soldiers and their burgeoning families. So Levitt and Sons answered with Levittown, Long Island, which was followed by the manufacturing of several other Levittowns across the country, including one in Puerto Rico. All-American jock, sesame chicken. It's Saturday and the cologne from the Hollister store in this corner of the mall is stiflingly sweet, so pungent it sticks to your skin. There are tiki lights, bamboo patches, palm trees, and wall-sized images of setting suns on the beaches of Hawaii, or maybe it's California or Long Island. Boy Boy leaves for the food court across from Hollister on the other side of the overhang, having bought a collared polo shirt that he will be too insecure to wear with the collar popped because he is ashamed and in denial of wanting to look like the white boys who live near a school, a rich neighborhood, with geometrically tailored bushes lining the driveways of each home. The food court has an oblong aisle at the center made up of various fast food joints squeezed next to each other in compartments, each radiating a line of people who have decided this afternoon to eat pizza, sesame chicken with rice, Wendy's fries, or an Auntie Anne's soft pretzel with a jumbo-sized iced tea. Boy Boy has chosen sesame chicken with rice and a can of Coke. There is too much oil and sugar, and now he is gassy and suppressing it. He is bloated, but he smells sweet and blonde like surfboards and shell necklaces and lifeguards and frothy waves. The beach this summer of 2002 is a wet dream of a track and field friend wading into the ocean after a run, wearing only white boxer briefs. Just looking. Oh, Teddy, what are you doing? Boy Boy faints bro disapproval refusing to enter the water. But look at him. He'll remember himself in this moment years from now, his anatomy all fucked up. He'll remember feeling that his gut was in his throat, his heart a beating dick inseparable from his polyester running shorts. His breath was a secret, and he was holding it. Don't look then. It is Teddy's senior year. He will go on to college to run cross country and major in English. He is currently dating Tiffany, the superstar of the girls lacrosse team, who will be captain in the spring. They will have an amicable breakup right before graduation, but not until after prom. 
Boy, boy will remember himself as having smiled through those five minutes as Teddy went in and came out of the ocean, little streams of salt water running down his pale peach abdomen to the curlicues of, his, of dark hair above his boxer briefs, his boxer briefs sticking to his body and showing everything, but not quite. Oh, how you love that, squeal the smiling memory. How you love seeing what you want, but not having it. That pull, that tug, the ebb of water and the pounding in your chest and gut and neck and shoulders and that bundle of nerves and blood vessels between your legs that you have no idea what to do with, but sure as rosaries you believe that all your worth depends on its size. Boy Boy had wished Teddy was like him, like he couldn't even say it, but he wished Teddy was that word. It was a smiling, terrified memory and it lived scattered and uneven in Boy Boy's brown body. It would not begin to emerge until the following year, the year before college, where he will be reminded that he is different and everything is complicated. Then the memory will sink harder and deeper to return to his surface consciousness only in his late 20s. It will be a difficult process, and the coming to will be painful. All those words he'd forgotten returning to him, some he will realize had always been there at the tip of his tongue. Ma'ala ala, bulalakaw, damdamin, sarili. A litany of words made flesh, he will think, reminded of Catholicism's insistence on the body of Christ. He will feel an odd closeness to a religion he had renounced as a teenager during a time that could have woken him up and made him critically angry, but back then he couldn't quite connect the events of September 2001 and the subsequent war waged in the name of democracy to his own circumstances. Long ago, in 1899, a version of those war hawk words echoed from Washington's pews as President McKinley and co. charismatically reminded the nation that the people of the Philippines did not know how to govern themselves, and so America must educate the Filipinos and uplift and civilize them, and Christianize them. George Bush's words on television, interrupting Boy Boy's favorite sci-fi fantasy show in 2003, Miracles, starring Skeet Ulrich, could have reminded him, but in a silent interior language, something automatic said, you're Filipino, you do not speak out. He'd renounced Catholicism, but it had long ago dug a church in his mind and in the minds of his ancestors, an intergenerational trauma that he was ill-equipped to see and name, even as his body screamed it all along. But much later, he will speak out, or he'll try at least, other words will come, often with a growing awareness of a history from which he had been terribly alienated, and with that realization will come shame because he will feel deeply that he was supposed to know all along. A friend who, because he is black and HIV positive, had long ago realized that you are never safe and people can be cruel, will ask him, where does your oppression come from? Sup, bro. It was 2013 and dead... Teddy did not mind Grinder's design change. He thought it was nice. His old profile's about section commandingly declared that he was mask and neg UB2. He was rather proud of being forward. He never thought about it, really, until a guy responded to his come on of, hey, hung here, you looking? With a wow, you're so forward. Which Teddy took to be an invitation for him to send two dick pics and a nude mirror pic with the flash on that he thought cleverly obscured his face. 
Now, with this new grinder, there was an option for users to pick a tribe. He chose clean cut, but he thought he was also discreet and otter and jock. His current about section expounded rice enthusiast, wink, neg, 12, 20, 12, only safe here, no fats, no femmes, please, just a preference, uncut, plus, 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 move to the front of the line, LOL. I've been working on a collection of poems. Um, I hope it becomes a book titled right now, ESL or You Weren't Here. Um, this is um, one of the photographs that my, so I was raised by my grandmother and my aunts and uncles in the Philippines while my parents were working in the States. Um, my mother came here by herself in 1986 and she couldn't leave the, the country until 1994. So a lot of these photographs, uh, my aunts uh, and grandparents would send to my, to my parents here in the States. And uh, during Hurricane Sandy, like, I guess a lot of the stuff was just like, they had to move it up. So this was kind of like unearthed. And um, in a way, it's been like a strange kind of like, like my parents used it to like, to be in touch with us, and now it's like, for me, it's been like, oh yeah, that's, I remember that, like, it's been like a really, um, like, useful way to connect and to remember. Uh, Nanai just died. Nanai is the gray telephone, my face is the holes in the gray telephone, my body is where the wall meets the carpet. My cousin Brian is gibberish tears worming through my face is my sister's or Johnson's baby powder is Friday is November is my kuya is sleeping. Wake up, we shake him. Wake up, she's gone. Wake up. Why is 11 9 when November comes after 8? Why love like Sunday when she was alive only two days ago? Friday is a flower turns so quickly. Do not see Papa punching the old, the cold trash can in the backyard, jean jacket, shoulder, yellow dark, yellow dark against the metal clunk, clunk, to hide his mother gone. I am my Ates memory of tonight, warm, touching, cold, like breathing out in the torn open night. Here I am, says the something you don't normally see, startling to be reminded of life's wetness. Didn't you see? She says, don't you remember? Atlantic City is mama, papa's answer to a long distance call is still never and colder. My ates, my kuya, and me in a white numb car. I hate casino cigarettes, smoke, the rain pelts the car into mist. I am not the cold gray, but the window wiper right to left, to right to left to leave. Brittany. I say, it's Monday, her curls beautiful and American. My grandmother just died. She doesn't believe me. Says, why are you in school then, if she died? White lace beneath the Virgin Mary and the rosy cheeks of the Santo Nino, who resembles my grandmother atop a dresser, welcoming me home in a corridor beneath dusty light. She tells me not to hurry, my shoes I have in my hands. There are leaves outside. Why is no one picking them up? 
No one is at the corridor, silly. Nanai will never come to America. I hate December. No one is outside singing. There are no New Year's Eve fireworks to send me running into the stairs, into her arms, pedaling open like jasmines in her duster dresses. Fireworks I hate, but I love the shape I become in her arms. Nai, I say, as she sinks into the sofa, through the floor, gone. Nanai, I say, she's a cartoon now, visiting me through the windows, as real as purple. She's a pinstripe suit. Who are you? She's wearing a fedora. Nai, I say, something's wrong, huh? I don't hear her disagree. The window is a burst of yellow. Nai, I say, and don't wake up. She's a curtain in my eyelids. In January, my kuya shows me the long-distance photographs of the funeral past my curfew. I can't sleep, my eyelids stream the gray photographs. I am everywhere in the wake. I am my tita bombit's hair as she leans over the coffin. My cousins wear black rectangles over their hearts. The photograph is Nanai's gray face. The light is glass over her eyes. The coffin is one long sampaguita strand. Her hands are under where I can't see them. I am thousands of miles away. I am very sorry. My eyelids are the gray photographs. When I close my eyes, I am my cousins, Paul, and Jenny, Ace, Lalaine, Sara, Eunice, Maymay, being lifted over the coffin from one pair of hands to another to ward off haunting. I am the neighbors carrying the coffin. I am Morong Street. I have never walked this far from home. It is so crowded. Nanai would be mad. I have my chinelas in my hand. She sprays me with water, laughing, chases my friends away who shame me because I sleep with my hands between my legs. I am the Sampaguita lining the door of her coffin. I am not the light that streaks across the glass, creates a glare. Please don't let me be the glare. I want to be the Sampaguita. I've been working on drawings like this for the last three years, um, all the same size, 11 by 15. Um, I don't know where I go when I make these. I feel like that's the best way that I've been able to like deal with trauma is to just make images. Um, lately, like words have been kind of sneaking in. Um, I bought a typewriter, so it's been useful to to just churn out something that's like really quick and straight from like the subconscious. Um, there was a show of Robert Gober's work last, uh, last fall at the MoMA and there's this amazing series of paintings that he did um, all on the same canvas but he recorded them, he photographed them and turned each one into a slide and it became like an animation. Uh, so this last poem is um, after Robert Gober. Shuffled slides of a changing painting. 89, you're still too close for me to write this. Listen, I whisper in a subway where a ghost of you passes in my periphery. There are landslides. I'm so corny, I laugh, catching my tears. Stevie Nicks woke me up one morning and I was very young. How does it go? Something about mirrors, 
mountains. Listen, now you tumble out of view, gone. Four, the clacking sound we hear is no typewriter but a carousel of slides. Its images puddle on the wall, absorb themselves, one into the other, into the other, into the other. My hand could melt into yours. 37, a candled leg juts out of the wall and we walk around it. 33, a body's chest dissolves into cage, forest, stairs. An explanation, I think it has something to do with how much we hold inside, settles, evaporates magnanimously. 60, a sore point between shoulder blades like a keyhole to a flooded room. 85, around us the bar is way too loud. You play with my tattered cuff as I speak. I'm reading from my phone this poem, which is different now. Two, you drifted by could be one beginning, another this isn't working, and another it didn't work out. 47, I feel heavy holding my breath. I light a candle and remember what kind of Saint Michael the Archangel was. I would really like to open my back and drape my lungs over my shoulders. Can he make me that strong that I become soft? Alveoli, alveoli, alveoli wings. Amen. Six, and so the projections continued. I tried not to scold my child self, unruly as they are. They, because there was no he or she yet, at least not in the Tagalog words I spoke. They, child, shaking the shadows for a familiar body, changing you from someone I could get to know to a person who is about to leave or has already left. Hoy bata, I tell that self, you try, you try so hard not to feel abandoned. And I remember them, queer, bakla, phaeton-like, staring at the manila sun one morning as though they could see more than its yellow haze. Perhaps as in darkness, searching in light for a body, their body remembered. 10, you know, my mother apologized. I asked her to listen and I could feel her pressed closer into the phone. Buksan mo yung chest mo, she said. I misheard, anticipating her anger. Your chest, she permitted. And so, for 30 minutes, I wailed. Two decades, she was there. She wasn't there. 73, and what would you have me do, said Eurydice. 12, mama immigrated to New York by herself. Whiling away the days until my father could join her, she dreamed each passing plane was the one carrying him to JFK. 19, I feel heavy. I have so many stories. Once I gave this girl I liked my Tita Alice's plastic pocket mirror wrapped in duct tape, and then I had to ask for it back. 34, the wallpapers in the museum are loud with images that defy and demand language. Sometimes I feel like a white man. And then, this is some other queer's loss, abruptly and with contempt, but I think I mean I am tired. 15. I am skilled in cruising for my story where my story does not exist. 30. A lonely binary snaps the body open, shut. A switchblade. Am I learning to love or aspiring to whiteness? 86. 
the dissolution of cum in soapy water as I remember you, my lips to your shoulders and the slow coming into view of you. 29, sometimes we talked and my whole self was a downward gaze. Later in the stillness or when I couldn't reach for my phone, I'd panic over what I had missed. 14, white gay boy, tell me that you feel as lost and too full of meaning as I do moving from room to room of collided histories, those that collide because we have been taught to see them piecemeal. 65, AIDS is not separate from 9-11, and yet why does my mind take leaps? A sink carries water, but elongated a body too, half sunk in dirt, a sign for no longer. And just a few floors above us, Matisse's The Red Studio, painted in 1911, compels one's eyes to enter what is otherwise a flat surface and haptically to behold a chair drawn this way, a clock that way. 59, I want to learn to look at time and not have an out-of-body experience. I think it is impossible to describe what it's like to feel unreal. Am I being unreasonable by demanding that I should always be embodied? 22, I pull dotage from my memories, a word you taught me, fumbling however little I know beyond the romance I want to make real. I could care for you. 61. So much loss precedes us, which is to say so much loss continues. 1899 in your blue eyes, you don't know. It's not fair maybe to look, but I see it there. How much of the past I let overtake me, how much of the present I deny. 53, now I roll the R when I say my name and then I'm biting on pearls apologetically. 67, and you? Out in the woods by your house farther east in Smithtown, you ask your mother if you could play there with your friends. The buildings were nowhere in sight. You knew but did not know. Above you, the blue sky and leafy patches late summer cooling on your skin. 66, in English class, Miss Rios canceled the air with her hands as she described the twin towers falling. The sky was blue. I was running by the water in Long Beach, turning to face west, my mouth parched with words. American, horizon, citizen, who? 84, I press my ear, then lips to your pelvis to listen to a scar, to feel what you remember, then, if it's okay, to heal together. 16, I'm still waiting for her to return. 50, once a man came to school to speak about HIV and AIDS, he was paused. After his talk, he entered the bathroom and I followed. I didn't know this was called cruising. I just had so many questions. Not in words, in silence. I watched my desires from afar as if I were a window pointed inward on the other side of the stall, the shape of the sound of him. 24, I become the etymology of intimate, intimare, to put or bring into, to make familiar, intimus, inmost, innermost. 17, my grandmother was my mother, sounded so queer growing up that I had to translate the story out of shame 
and DSL so that my American friends could understand my Tagalog trauma. I can't tell a memory from a wish or if it even matters to make distinctions. Her duster dresses are my arms folding tightly around her waist during an earthquake in Manila. And later, when it is calmer or there is just more silence, she repeats a word over and over, pleading beneath the dining room table. Lord, 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 each utterance deepening a prayer I can't understand. 28, in other words, 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 in other words. 77, nearer the surface, it was harder to discern between shadow and mishap. There was a longing for words like truth, in the end, palpable, clearly, overcome. Self, a flickering like light or heat made the both of them, him, turn, and he glimpsed the depth of all that loss. How hurt he was, how alone he'd been, then again, not so alone after all, and how that could be, he wasn't sure. Slowly, a hurt making space, not alone, but lonely, a body that didn't know how to hold a mind injured by contradictions. In the distance, inside, long ago, once, again, he saw himself in pieces, mangled, many. Three, and still, and still, and still, another beginning could go like this. You held my hand, the painting changes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aldrin, that was amazing. Imagining outside this moment before, during, and after. Warehouse, museum, sauna, street, grocery outlet. A lot depends on word choice. Lara once told me with wide eyes how she saw the huge glass windows of Whole Foods shatter in Oakland. And then what happened is where her book, Interactions, takes as its starting point also Melanie Gillen, Gilligan's TV show, Popular Unrest. A lizard, a smash safe, a pillow, Laura Durbeck's new book, begins by claiming boldly whatever is written will already be outdated. It's a glorious sort of proclamation where the specificity of now is really important to catch in Laura's long breath sentences. So that dreams or body heat gets wrapped up and stashed away the way labor gets quantified in relation to visions of radical restructuring of care. An escape, the discussion with people who are on public transit who are in this public space, how to record public transit as the innermost chamber of intimacy. This is the question that drives Lara Durbeck's poetry. Where does trauma nudge its way into this conversation? Usually when you're alone, but we're not alone right now. Here, microphone between us, we are trying to be together. Or as Lara writes, bodies are raging dialectical gas pressure, like the whipped cream container ready to spray. 
As Lara's work is a proposition, a way to take conversation, these little building blocks of escape from exploitation, escape from debt, escape from ridiculous figures that fuel the industries built on suffering, what's the small talk like about various infinitesimal modes of suffering? That is the poetic journey here. Also, of course, finding the joy in human connection, documenting that, in finding all the beauty in what industry refutes and discards and repurposing it. To say that Lara Durback knows how to fix things is an understatement. To say this poet, person, book artist, letterpress extraordinaire sheds light on how she gathers the immaterial, the seeming ephemeral in language. Lara literally knows how to run old machines really well. Sometimes accepting into her arms cases and cases of donated type of Vander Cook letterpresses, of foil stamping the spines of her book on a cross-country train, one she has taken many times to travel across the country, and one she took tonight to be here. Please help me in welcoming Lara Durback. Thank you, Ariel. Oh, that was so amazing. I'm so overwhelmed that that uh, introduction was incredible, and I did just take the train across the country. And thank you, Aldrin. That was amazing hearing your work. Um... Yeah, it's just, it's incredible to be in this building when I think about all the things that happened here. And I was reading in the about section about the poetry project about there was one part where there were like some, a couple of youth that had robbed the building at one point and then ended up running a, a youth program here. And that just like <laughs> made me so happy. <laughs> That's like one of the themes in the book is robbery. Um, but I guess I'll read the intro. I'll go according to plan. There's a note that says breathe. <laughs> Dear reader, just so you know what's coming in this book will be outdated. This book is being written in handwriting with a pie at a campsite, at a picnic table, at a hot springs, in two of five days off from work in this whole month, in which the author feels sad about someone, some perception of someone, a base concern in this world of tragedy and problems and hope of a commune, hope of convening of minds, hearts, and strategy to create unbreakable bonds and networks. Well, the story of the little Bay Area, from which my eye was in Oakland, gentle reader, please be gentle. My eye and body and heart got put in a blender from October 2011 on, and I could not want regular things anymore. I could not talk about them. I thought when all the social circles combined, there would be unending support, couches, pillows, arms around, and battles and people living in the same building so they can take care of each other, the glittering, squishy, cavernous, beautiful buildings of my dreams, the ones that were not symbolic, the ones that were results of tactics that worked, the ones in the very near future, the buildings that destroyed time and space, no ratio. And um, my book is in three sections called Interactions, Somatics, and Buildings, and then there's an end section that's very influenced by this film TV series that this artist made called um, Popular Unrest. So there will be parts from all of that. But first, um, just as we're all here together, I just wanted to invite you all to stand up for a minute since we're in between. You don't have to. Um, right before I left Oakland, I was in this, this uh, 
talk about herbal remedies and things that you can get at the convenience store and like just really amazing stuff. But the one thing that the woman did in the room, a very small room with people, was that everyone just stood and like centered themselves and then put their arms back like this. And you just feel yourself being centered, but then you soften your eyes and just move your arms forward to the point where you can see your hands. So just slightly forward when in your peripheral vision you can see your hands. And supposedly that's something that's supposed to calm you down anywhere you are. Just so you know. <laughs> I need those kind of things. I was losing it. <laughs> New York New York is really hard for me. <laughs> in terms of like the intensity of people. I'm very sensitive to those kind of things, so even though I'm like from near Philly, so I, I used to be used to this, but I'm not anymore. <laughs> Joyce and Armando, a system imbalanced within itself, creating war on itself. And this is from the interaction section. The jaw loosens at the moment when, all of a sudden, this woman at the bus stop is telling you about her turtles named Joyce and Armando. Joyce is her name too. Armando is her ex-lover, and in the suspension of the self that is the bus stop bench, someone has felt welcome to open up to you. She just lost 40 pounds. Her knees have just met for the first time, she says. Only thing is the knees keep hurting each other, hitting one another now. She must sleep with a pillow between her legs as to not agitate the tenderness when the knees knock together. This person does not know that she is the only one to have disrupted, despondent thoughts that were assaulting my head throughout the whole day. This woman, Joyce, did that. And also, when I came home to a reply letter from Santa Rita Jail. The next section is a long quote from um, Origins of the Police by David Whitehouse. This was a... Um, article that was being circulated around a lot at one period when I actually happened to see it on Facebook or something, but a lot of friends were reading it at once. In England and the United States, the police were invented within the space of just a few decades, roughly from 1825 to 1855. The new institution was not a response to an increase in crime, and it really didn't lead to new methods for dealing with crime. The most common way for authorities to solve a crime before and since the invention of police has been for someone to tell them who did it. Besides, crime has to do with the act of individuals and the ruling elites who invented the police were responding to challenges posed by collective action. To put it in a nutshell, the authorities created the police in response to large defiant crowds, that's strikes in England, riots in the northern US, and the threat of slave insurrections in the South. So the police are a response to crowds, not to crime. One of the first modern type police forces came in Charleston, South Carolina in the years before New York, the New York force became fully professional. The precursor of the Charleston's police force was not a set of urban watchmen, but slave patrols that operated in the countryside. As one historian put it, Throughout all of the southern states before the Civil War, roving armed police patrols scoured the countryside day and night, intimidating, terrorizing, and brutalizing slaves into submission and meekness. There were generally volunteer forces of white citizens who provided their own weapons. Over time, 
The system got adapted to city life. One example of do-it-yourself justice, a method that lasted for centuries, was known as the hue and cry. If you were in a marketplace and you saw somebody stealing, you were supposed to yell and scream, saying, stop thief and chase after the thief. The rest of the deal was that anybody who saw you do this was supposed to add to the hue and cry and also run after the thief. So that's all from Origins of the Police. And um, that was a long thing, but it leads into this next part. I was robbed in the street and had that incapacitating, sick body feeling of being robbed in public that happens to a person containing some somatic composition of trauma and privilege. I was on the sidewalk. It was daytime. I felt someone brush against me. The bag was gone. Then I saw that the street was beneath me, solid ice. My bag was sliding across it in diagonal out toward the Goodwill store across the street. No one was there. No one had robbed me. I don't want you to think of me like that either. No one would rob me. There actually was no robbing anymore. What are the acts of individuals? It stopped happening. There was a person. I saw multiple people. I had been banged into. My bag was gone. It was sliding across the street under a car, slipping, rotating, conveyor belt, stripes, black and white stripes, rotating, circular platform, the house that Jack built, your bag, your body, their body, pepper spray, walking, never needing to walk, leaning your body in the position, mimicking your own previous fear, re-articulating, your mind sliding the marble as if it did get stuck in that groove. Yup. I was sad, though, as if I'd been robbed. I was in a junkie store trying to buy something or buy food and felt sad, like, how will I find my wallet? But it was there in my pocket, in my hoodie, and my bag was on my arm. Then I saw the man outside with my bag. It was his now. I had mine. The street was pure ice or maybe like a conveyor belt. But all I know is people's belongings were sliding all over the place and the neighborhood was starting to get used to it. You put things down on the conveyor belt and they go to someone else. I was in Oakland in the Laurel District on a street I had walked many times. I was in Allentown where I grew up. I was about to get on the bus. It could be either place. Both had places where the bus goes under an underpass that felt the same darkening and enveloping you for a time, whether it was a freeway underpass or a railroad trestle. All I know is I had that anxiety like the bag and the money were gone, like I wouldn't be able to take care of myself or get anywhere or unlock any doors, like I had been irresponsible and incapable of taking care of myself. But the street, I think, was actually a conveyor belt, safe for cars to drive on, unlike ice, good for us to walk on without slipping, bouncy, a little, Sliding bags were going under parked cars and being reassigned, and then no one was scared. They were all getting what they needed. I held my bag like a stuffed animal. The sun was streaming through the bus. Oh, I want to read too many things. <laughs> I'll read this one. 
I have very realistic fantasies, like reading to each other, like the scene in Fruitvale Station where everyone is dancing to Mac Dre on the BART. Like when the three men sing on the BART and people sing along to the Beatles, I am later stuck in the BART elevator with these young black men, fair evaders, all of us, and we have a great conversation. I hear they got arrested a bunch of times. I didn't ask them about it. Arrested for taking care of themselves while making everyone's day better. They even asked permission each time before playing music. I, I would cry, I was so happy. I would cry with joy to see the person pressing feet on one end of the doorframe of the BART car, back against the other side, pressing back to suspend himself in midair swinging from the bars, then dismounting to salute to no one. And I saw the turf dancers and the person who dragged the piano outside of the station and everyone creating a work and making the space different. All of it a slow moment. I don't want to die right then. I want to see more of it. Staring off into space, dreaming about you. Who knows me outside capitalist time? Who knows me when I'm not an atom or a gene or a cubicle? Tunnel vision is here, that fuzz symptom of isolation that is not real but pervasively believed. You say, it's not me, but rather that it's with me. He's reading Richard Wright. I am the man who lived underground. I am the working class vampire in Let the Right One In. I am a stray cat always biting my owner. I can't stop viewing myself as a stray cat, although I have a soft exterior. It is possible to be horribly bored and overwhelmed at once. It is possible to love every person at your work and hate that you work with them. It is possible to have court supports for people that you've never met. What if we all just went? It is possible to communize food and cars, and it is possible to love someone and allow them to date someone else. Yes, we live here, but still people don't understand. It is possible to be very close to people and to be not sleeping with them. It is possible to not be possessive of your partner. It is possible to visualize and exercise yourself out of pesky, unwanted, crushing emotions. It is possible to unclog the fog suction that has surrounded your body. Your aura is lumpy. It is possible to fix this. If you don't care about that, it is possible to live more. Those who have struggled more are better. It's just true, though I don't want it to be. Everyone needs to find the way to see the world before the mass killings cleared the land. It is possible to know specifics and list every single example, and no one can argue with a million examples. They just start to see. I'm going to read some things from the somatic section. It is very good when you see people playing a swatting hands game in public. Look at them. They are playing in another realm. They can think of nothing else. They are smiling, too. They are becoming somatically sharper and more aware. They are playing, and they are not overthinking. They are in another space for once. They don't have language. They are figuring something else out. Angels and demons and how they induce one another. And the image here is kind of like a, it's like a pie chart where relationship is the biggest part of the pie chart. Looks like a Pac-Man eating the whole thing. An intimacy where you do too many favors for the same person when the intimacy truly becomes bullshit and makes that person the only one you want to show your most hideous side to. <laughs> because you have given too much of your space and mind and mutual aid to them. You got addicted to it. You ignored other people. You let them get away with things you would never let anyone mess with in your own life normally. No one can know what is nice and no one can claim this tyranny of niceness. Don't let them.
Some things cause blood flow, and some things remind you that you can't gain blood flow that way. Some path to pleasure is blocked by numbness. It's sad, and so you have to go for blood flow. Sensation requires blood flow. And there are many ways to achieve blood flow and to have respect for yourself. Sometimes a mirage was, in order to handle what has happened, you prove to yourself that you liked it, whether you did or not. And if it had been observed by someone, they wouldn't have liked it, but you convinced yourself, so you wouldn't have to be debased for liking it. You're still tough. Does that make any sense? Humans, being not human, chose this. But the humans themselves were puppeting around with egos until their bodies told them they were observed. The humans were not the front of their brow or their eye sockets or analysis. They were moving blood that loved themselves and others. And I did these funny letraset drawings. That's rubbing one letter at a time. I have a lot of those in here. So this one says, chasing with the violence of an acupuncture needle in order to re release the blockage. Undoing the freeze out of the fog. Do this by push hands. Do this by standing game, taking steps back. Do this by grounding cord. Do this by exploding roses. Edith from El Salvador witnessed many war crimes and had to hide in wide open space. She felt unsafe in the wide open space. Pulling herself out of that mind state was hard. She comes in and out of it. Once she placed push hands in order to come out of it, her therapist suggests the stress position in bioenergetics, also trauma-releasing exercises. Causing the body to shake with purpose, the opposite of holding will help it not stick. So I'll read one more poem, and then I'm going to read a section of the essay. Unemployable. One, seeding charts of the years, list of birthdays, destruction of the home space, landlord emails, the growing, growing mobs, and housing built only to remain empty for flipping, and housing fixed up only to remain empty for flipping, and landlord as roommate so to not appear as owner. They live with their parents, they live off credit cards, they just stop paying, they leave the country, they never go into work, but are working all the time. They work five jobs. They wait seven years for it to go away. They stay enrolled slightly in college to avoid the payments. They get their parents to give them money. They become gentrifiers by going to college. They go home on the holidays. They live in closets or trucks or vans. They know that they will never have a life anyway. They smuggle themselves into the country under car seats. They have never had any debt because no one in their family has debt because they worked all the time and never went anywhere because who could afford that without credit cards? They couldn't drive because they didn't have citizenship, that which is maintained by credit card usage, that which credits permission maintained in terms of movement, in terms of people being able to stay or go. It's okay, we're gonna sail on this because this is the great leveler. This wave, this one will be the one. I'm not there right now because I'm not sleeping with someone on the project. I am not sleeping with someone who can drag me out of the world of sleep. Two, 
full cabinets or eating everything that's there, adhering to a diet, how and where, a special diet, behavior as related to diet, fixing and fixing, clutter or not clutter, wastewater collection or let it rain, let the dishes pile up, wipe off their face or leave it, has good boundary, has bad boundary, has ever had anyone acknowledge a boundary, has flailed arms to divert some object thrown, confesses tracing that circle around oneself for protection, easily attaches to others, shuts down when cannot control social situation, disappears, find comfort in bed with beer, otherwise needs to leave the house to find comfort, gets up in the morning in time to stretch, can barely drag oneself out of bed. Are you feeling grown up? Are you still procrastinating? All you have to do is show up on time. All you have to do is show up for yourself on time. Three. And for those who played the game, they moved far away to a place where every beach and yard and park was gated with 10 signs about surveillance on every gate and they had to get married because the requirement to move for the job means you move someplace with no one that you know. And you probably don't know anyone in your neighborhood and you go outside and you don't talk to anyone or you make enough money that there are plenty of people paid to talk to you. And you commute long and you might as well have brought yourself a pellet to live in because that's how you are living anyway. This is the future. You will be happy. Don't give up. That was such a grumpy little poem. The second, the second part of it was when I started working with, with uh, children in the past six months, and I was just parent, the learning about parenting just really fascinated me, and just like about how different, like these, these Berkeley parents like teach their children about boundaries from like the very beginning, and it's very confusing to me because it's very different from anything that I knew growing up. Okay, so the last part that I'm going to read some from is um, just about uh, this TV series, art TV series, Popular Unrest. Um, it's just a essay around that. And the, the, the show, I became just rather obsessed with it. And it's you can watch it on popularunrest.org. And it's just like five-minute episodes. There's like five five to seven minute episodes and it's like been enough material for me to think about for like for the rest of my life I feel like <laughs> it's like a curse it's so good um and it's kind of like camp horror and it's kind of like weird somatic dance things and it's I, I don't even know I don't I don't know it's it's really good the sleepwalker answers the phone and knows there will be consequences for his irresponsible sleepwalking. No, no, tell them I was dreaming. It's as if, say he had taken care of dominating his body into not sleepwalking somehow. Maybe his daughter wouldn't have been killed by the mysterious killings. These are the logics we encounter. The scientists are studying work. Study participant, I don't work. Scientist, that's very interesting. How can you take care of your responsibilities when you spend all your time with 50 people? The problem is that they believed the scientists when the scientists told them that their bond was the result of a world computer's glitch. J 
Just after I typed that, I uncontrollably slammed my fist onto the table because I had such a conviction that it was not true. And I quote things from, that, that quoted some things from the series, but I quote kind of erratically throughout. Gelatinous Mass Manifesto, partially an essay on Melanie, Gillen, bleh, Melanie Gilligan's popular unrest. When you trap them one-on-one -on -one in a private room, they are very different. It could be their partner at home, it could be the psychologist, the single person that they are in an intimate room with. In this psychologist-type configuration, a person explains themselves to a person. They experience themselves as a worker. I used to be an account manager. I had to drop my volunteer position at the daycare. There's something very earnest. It's just the person and their emotions. They are very markedly not this when they are with others. The earnestness does not exist. They don't need it. And it's better this way. I am noticing that the people who are getting killed by the mysterious knife are people who, are prim who primarily see themselves as workers. Someone will say that I am against succeeding, but that is not true. I am against a person seeing oneself as a worker. I was describing the scene to him with tears coming out of my eyes. They are outside on a regular, dreary day in London. I said, you know, that's what the best part of life is, when you're all together and you're not thinking about it, but somehow you have gathered and something is happening because you are together. And it doesn't have to do with any kind of relationship with another person who is there. It has to do with gathering itself in public with others that you recognize and the closeness that comes from the lightness of the interaction, which is a stronger bond. They take walks together. They see one another differently than others see them. But anyone could see them. There is nothing special about it, except that when this occurs, often enough on multiple occasions closely occurring, the time will seem special. No person, no person is special. Only configurations of time and space can be special. The bond of the people gathering is inherently political because it is based on the hatred of work. It is based on a common struggle. I don't think they could love each other so much if they didn't hate work so much. But the gathering does not hit you over the head with the fact that it is political. You don't need to say any other words about their bond other than that. Perhaps that is where it goes wrong every time people come along and say words about what that bond is and the terms have been used or so recycled and loaded up and don't mean anything anymore. I am banging my fists on my lap every time they let the scientists in. My teeth are gnashing, my brow sharpens and hurts, as if they know it is their death, but they still let the scientists in. Everyone should know by now, fuck biology, because we are creating ourselves by now. All sci-fi, but I digress. Someone thinks it's a good idea to let the scientists in, so everyone does, because they want to be able to continue to, communi to communicate with their group. They earnestly believe that the scientists could be helpful. But what the gelatinous mass as life needs least is earnestness or authenticity because it is only concerned with being and allowing people the space to be. The popular unrest people live in another dimension now because they killed each other through their relentless, relentless atomizing that work convinced them they needed. Next time around, they will not have to kill each other into the other dimension through competition about work. 
because here we beings have learned from them. Dare I say the popular unrest people are our bodhisattvas. The popular unrest people killed each other in a room in an abandoned building because they didn't know what they were after their initial moment of bonding. And they found it wasn't as romantic the second time around in an abandoned building. But somehow there is always another abandoned building or space that there is to go back to. We like our psychogeographic tours so we can talk about what had happened before. And it is always logical to make things in the space capital temporarily forgot. As we can't tell anymore through the storms, the emotions put out there, what the real ones are or are not. Because there have been so many namings of so many things to select, the illusion of choices takes over the commitment to a gelatinous mass. The knowing of self is clouded in the choices of what the self can be. Emotions are tools now used by others on minds, the intended result of life up against the screen. What is discharged and what is generative becomes indistinguishable. It is not pertinent to be optimistic or believing in happiness. It is pertinent to go on a walk to do the things that allow myself and others to move. I am a materialist. The gelatinous mass can be sensed. The gelatinous mass is in need, like food or housing, which is why people end up needing church or school or poetry scenes or music scenes or some other structure to live in because they need the moment of setting up the chairs and talking to each other or having moments in between to gather when they are walking to the grassy area. The alternative to the gelatinous mass is atomization. Offices, cubicles, living alone, perceived isolation agitating itself as one overworks themselves, marriage often because of loneliness or giving up. It is hard to tell what the moneyed spaces are or are not anymore. But the incapacity to move is something like choices. Scientists telling you that your group will be subject to analytics, sending you suggestions about what you might like in the future, friends' suggestions, purchase suggestions, life suggestions, preparation and insurance and micro-taking of portions of this analysis, and competition based on the micro-preferences within this analysis, and forgetting you have comrades, bonds, connections, a garden, and animal companions, and dismissing this larger need as a youthful waste. And it doesn't matter to be pure in finding this unanalyzed space, except that somehow, to keep moving slowly and talking with others, allowing the perspective to slowly change, you might become less predictive. You might find an answer in the images encountered, or the nothingness encountered, in the inability to name what is in front of you, or describe it as sickness, or lack, or imperfection, in the relationships, or the lessening of the cruel optimism of life that is presented as impossible to get, yet you must get it but you don't have to believe it. You could be further away from this. You have had a time when you were. Never forget. To walk together, to move outside, as the landscape around changes in a gradual manner, with steps, as you move, as you talk, you might get somewhere, though it doesn't seem possible the way that tiny pixels are built like blocks, like checkmark boxes, and you're supposed to know the content of every pixel as a choice, every disembodied limb on its own. Don't believe it. Keep walking and look in the faces. Keep gathering and seeing the analog and imperfect shapings of plants, animals, and faces, the one not divisible. Thanks. The 
Poetry Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org.